Welcome to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and Dee. I'm Maz Mary, And I'm Dana DelVal. Whether you're a person on an addiction sobriety path, or you know someone who is, we're here to talk about our journey with it. And more importantly, we want to help end the stigma and shame of alcoholism. And we want to bring some hope and laughter along the way too. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Uh, happy Thursday. It looks like spring here, Dr. Mary. It does. Despite the fact that I'm wearing my new sheep jacket. It's going to hit 50 today. Oh, good. And I'm going to go for a walk. You missed my whole sheep jacket. I, I got the sheep jacket. It's my lady boss jacket, which I kind of vowed to never take off. So here she it is. It. I've worn it quite a bit already this week. It probably should go in the washing machine. But that is not why we are here today on Daily Dose. We are here to talk to... Uh, my friend, soon to be our friend, Michelle Davis, who's, um, I met, I think we found Michelle through Daily Dose, or Michelle found us, and then she just recently took the Rediscovery Your Spark retreat, and now she's back to talk. She is our ninth retreat taker to join us in this work. So I think there's a parallel merging of my worlds, which is great. So let's, let's bring Michelle to camera. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm right. also great. Good. Yeah. Right. Happy to um, have you joining us. Fun to see you last night at the retreat check-in and good awesome. to see you again this morning. So Michelle, let's jump right into it because people are here to watch, to hear and learn about your story, not learn about my sheep jacket. Yeah. Uh, Interesting as it, it is. is. It's, it's, I do love your sheep jacket. It's, it's a, <laughs> it looks cozy, cozy, cozy. Very cozy, and you're very kind. So, Michelle, let's start with our standard question. Tell us your here to there and put your here wherever you want to start it. And we'll just be along for the ride and chirp in when we have questions. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I kind of went back and forth. I The most important part of this whole journey for me is is the part where I actually get sober and how how that all happened and how I've worked through it. But, you know, I think a little foundational information is helpful too. Um, I would say I had a drinking problem from the first time I ever drank, which yeah. was as a 16 year old in high school. Um, I was longing to fit in and, and always being a little bit nervous and uncomfortable and not knowing what to say in social situations. So, you know, you go and you drink and then I could be who I wanted to be, who I thought I wanted to be. You know, a, a great song comes on the radio and you go and you dance and you don't care and, and you're, you know, all of the anxiousness was stripped away. And I thought that was great. So, you know, that led to drinking on occasion in high school and drinking more and drinking more and to a couple of minor inconsumptions and, you know, getting in trouble. And at 17 years old, already trying to regulate my drinking. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to drink this weekend. I'm not going to party this weekend, but maybe next weekend or you know, so at a young age, it was a problem. 
And that was coming from having an upbringing where my mom and dad didn't drink. Mm -hmm. I didn't see it happening. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was able to become an alcoholic with nobody setting an example for me. <laughs> I just was able to do it on my own. So um, it just, it created a lot of problems. And at, at the same time, I was uh, dealing with depression, but I didn't know what the depression was. Um, this is mid eighties in Wapaton, North Dakota. You didn't go to therapy. I, there was no antidepressant medication. Mm. Um, I didn't know what it was, but I knew that when I drank, I didn't feel it. Yeah. So what came first, alcoholism or depression? I don't know, but our question. That is a great question. And you are not the only person who has told almost this exact same story. Yeah. The age might be different. The, the symptom might be different, but that I don't feel comfortable. I'm anxious in this environment. When I drink, I think I am the person I want to be. Yeah. That story is over and over and over again. Yeah, universal for yeah. sure. Um, you know, so finished high school, went to college, quit college, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so I decided I would be a nanny. I liked kids, so off to the East Coast I went. I didn't drink while I was a nanny, I was too busy. I was living with a family, you know? So I did that. I came back to the Minneapolis area, went to school, quit school, worked, uh, ended up that next summer going back out and being a nanny again for the same family. And then when I came back and I was 20 years old, I came back and I, I really hit my first major depression where I was just in bed all the time, um, just so sad, so depressed drinking when I could to make it better, but it was just awful. And so, you know, that was the first time I reached out to my brother and kind of told him what was going on. And he helped me. My family did an intervention. I went to um, a treatment center, Hazelden. It was called Pioneer House at that time. Mm -hmm. And I was able to remain sober for a couple of years. And I would say the depression did not get under control, but I wasn't drinking, but I, it's it still, things weren't right. And, uh, you know, again, it just, it was a different time and it wasn't therapy. I needed therapy to work through things, not just a pill. Yeah. And that wasn't, wasn't happening for me. So I just kept searching and searching. And then I ended up seeing in the Fargo form that someone wanted a nanny in Delray Beach, Florida. Oh. <laughs> and the pay was fantastic. Okay. And so I got the job. I moved down to Florida. It, I mean, it really was great. And I met Greg, who I married eventually. But what Greg and I were at that time and remained for many years was drinking buddies. Mm, yeah. You know, there I was in this group of friends. We all loved to party. I thought it would be fantastic. I wanted to be this club kid. <laughs> and I was. And so me and my group got into all the cool clubs for free. 
We drank for free just because we were cool. <laughs> that is not an experience but, I have ever personally had. Yeah, so I think that one passed me by too. Yeah, yeah. Look at me, look at me. It was my little little bit of famousness. Yeah. You know, but actually what it was was just debauchery. <laughs> it was horrible. It was, although I was, you know, I just would drink so many drugs, heroin, cocaine, um, everything was everywhere. And that culminated in one of the people that Greg and I knew um, had some kind of a difficulty with another person that we knew and showed up at his door and shot him with a shotgun right through the door wow. and that was it i was like okay all done you know i wow. i wasn't able to hold that job so yeah. you know you go out every night you're not going to hold a job yeah. um so it was time to go back to minneapolis and and greg was pretty scared and sick of it too and he's i'm gonna come too i'm like Great, great. So we both moved back to Minneapolis, my Florida boy, who's much more toler tolerant of the winter than I was. <laughs> um, you know, it was something new for him. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, over the course of the next 10 years, we got married, we had a couple kids, you know, we continued to drink it would continue to get in the way. I, of course, didn't drink when I was pregnant, you know, with my girls, you know, the, and that kind of normalized everything. Like, well, look at me, I can quit for this long period of time and have these babies. And, you know, it just, it, it fooled me into a false sense of being in control. So, you know, the two of us just, we continued drinking and we're talking nightly drinking and uh i was doing things like charging our groceries to greg's mother who gave me an emergency credit card so that i could take cash out of our other account and buy wine so that i could drink but i'd have to drink the whole bottle of wine and then just drink a little bit of the next one. So he would think I had one glass of wine out yeah. of the bottle, but really I had the whole bottle before that. And, and just all of these things that um, were so dishonest, you know, and he was searching out business trips oh. um, and design conferences so that he could get away and party. Because his whole work environment, I mean, they were, it was a party when they went to these trade shows. It was the music industry. Oh. And so they were going to big trade shows and they were going to Vegas and it was party time. Mm -hmm. So, but he was trying to go to more things so that he could get away. And there I sat at home with these young kids in my own little you know, world of just substance abuse. Yeah. Um, 
So I was very isolated and very alone and it just kept getting worse and worse. And I, I couldn't keep track of what I had told him and, and where the money was going. And he couldn't tell me a whole lot about what he did when he was away at his conferences. And so finally he was in Vegas for a trip. And I decided while he was in Vegas, that I wasn't going to drink anymore, that I was going to get sober. I was drunk when I decided that, but you know, um, so I called him up and I said, we have to quit drinking. We need to get sober. Well, he wasn't as excited about it. As I was. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what the heck? What do you mean? <laughs> and I thought it was a great idea. Um, it had taken as long as it had taken because he was my drinking buddy. If I quit drinking and he doesn't quit drinking, yeah. we have a really big problem. If I quit drinking and he quits drinking, we have a really big problem. I, it's, this is going to be hard. Yeah. And so I just, I, he came home from Vegas. He was drunk when he got home. I had quit, so for a couple days I had, had not had anything to drink, but, um, and, and still he just really, it wasn't his idea to quit drinking. It was my idea and how dare I do this. And he was really angry with me. I was coming clean about all the stories I would tell him and how I would spend money and how I would drink more than he thought I was drinking. and. Uh, he has, uh, he's less trusting than I am. Um, so he, he really felt he couldn't trust me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big part of what we had to rebuild. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many, many days, I didn't know who I was gonna wake up to for sure. He, he did decide to get um, sober after a few days as well. So I'm driving him up to Hazelden in Center City and I'm just wishing I could stay. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go to Hazelden. It's a country club. <laughs> I want to go. But it, he went. He was very resistant to it but also knew that he had to go and he knew that he had to go because I was serious about quitting. And if we did not quit together, we were going to have nothing. Wow. So he went, I went back, I did do an outpatient um, program, which involved a lot. I mean, it was three days a week and um, my mother-in-law came and stayed with me. My mom came and stayed with me, you know, to help me out. And one day I would talk to Greg and he'd be like, I don't know. I don't know if I can be married to you anymore. I've taken my wedding ring off. I don't know. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, hang in there. I, you know, I hope you change your mind. And, and he would change his mind. And, you know, we went through that for a long time and it was horrible. It was painful. Um, when he came home, it was horrible and painful. And every day, the emotional, um, just the pain, the emotional pain was unbelievable. 
and this is going to sound way over the top, but I had really embraced my faith at that point, and and that was getting me through. But I, I wished that I could just be hurt in some way, not, not crucified, but I felt like I could endure being crucified and just go through that pain for a day and then just be done with all the emotional pain. Mm -hmm. if, if I could trade those two things, I would have traded it. That's how much it hurt emotionally. It was horrible. And uh, little by little, it, it got better. Um, you know, lots of help from my family, my friends, but uh, very, very painful. And then to top it all off, which, you know, maybe this is a gift too, in, in a strange way, um, you know, that first six months being so painful, my mother at that six month mark was diagnosed with stage, stage four colon cancer. Like, no, but you know what that did was it, it, it kind of made Greg and I think about other things. Mm -hmm. um, and six months later, she died. And, you know, that those are some strikes that uh, a lot of people maybe wouldn't have been able to, to get through. I, I really feel carried by, by God and my faith in that time because I don't remember it very well. Mm -hmm. I remember it enough to know that it hurt like hell. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember all the details of it because I think it hurt too much. Yeah. Wow. You know, Michelle, I you don't know me well, but you've spent enough time with me to know that speechless is not a space I spend much time. <laughs> but I'm a little speechless at this. Um, well, I just want to thank you for your honesty. That's wow. It's I think it's one of the things about when when you address your disease as an alcoholic, it's because part of the part of it is all the lies. And then when you just think I I'm done with that and you just honestly tell a story it's 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 painful to hear but it's also wonderful at the same time so thank you for that oh you're welcome i you know it, it's part of how we stay sober yeah yeah so how many years ago was this michelle <coughs> it is coming up on 11. oh congratulations thank wow yeah 11 years through that i mean that's I'm just going to say, you don't look at you today and go, I bet she was a, a rowdy party girl in Florida. I bet she like was a stuck at home, stay at mom, drinking a full bottle of wine before having a glass of wine. You know, yeah. one of one of the reasons, and you've maybe heard us say this, but one of the big reasons that I think this work is so important is because we think we know what an alcoholic looks like. And you don't look like an alcoholic. No. You don't look like an alcoholic and the spouse of an alcoholic. None of our guests have looked yeah. like an alcoholic. And that's the point. There is no look. There is no type. 
It's you know? wealthy people and poor people and people of all colors and shapes and ages and education and from all parts of the country and the world. And I, I just, I just marvel at how stupid we continue to be about what an alcoholic is when the reality is that everybody could be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody showed me how to do it. No, yeah. that's just incredible. I figured it all out on my own. What I've noticed over the years, it, when when you talk to someone else about it, it the same patterns happen, you know. You, you come up with some dumbass plan that you think is brilliant <laughs> about if I buy two and chug one and have one glass of the other one, no one's going to know. Or mm -hmm. me and uh, my uh, a former guest of ours and a friend of mine, Thad, he we we um we were buying plastic bottles of liquor because we thought it was quieter. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and they're easier to hide because you know they're thinner and they don't make so much noise. And that's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was under the. I told myself that I was younger at heart a lot more fun uh, than other people my age. Oh. They're just, they're growing up and doing their boring lives, but mm -hmm. I'm much more fun than that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I party. Mm -hmm. Well, that was silly. Now the emotional growth in the last 10 years, I, I do believe it's true when you start drinking that you, your emotional growth stops. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just didn't know how to handle anything. Everything made me cry. I didn't know what to do. Poor me, poor me, fix this for me, you know? And very, very quickly, my emotional health and my emotional maturity caught up. Thank heavens. Yeah. yeah. So. That's interesting. You know, um, Maz and I did just, four sessions of marital therapy while he was in outpatient treatment. And the therapist said the exact same thing that Maz was fortunate to have not started really heavily drinking until he was an adult yeah. because he had an adult place to go back to. If you're 13 or 14, where do you go back? You go back to your 12 year old self. Well, yuck, who wants to be 12 again? Yeah. And that is not, we don't expect 12 year olds to be able to navigate the world as an adult. Right. So, so your your point, I think, is it really confirms that you had a lot of catching up to do for yourself mm -hmm. so that you could exist as a competent, um, responsible, important member of your community. Yes. And, you know, Greg and I did a lot of therapy, a lot of couples therapy. Of course, both of us coming from this, uh, you know, we're both in addiction. We're both alcoholics, um, you know, trust issues and just all sorts of stuff. We did that. I did a lot of work. He did a lot of work. Um, you know, it, it's been amazing and, and worth every minute, every dollar, every, you know, money well spent for sure. But yeah. I, I couldn't have done it without that. And I still deal with, you know, depression, although now, my depression is treated yeah. and under control. Yeah. Um, you know, that was never going to happen while using. Yeah. I mean, I was on antidepressants, but then I was drinking. I mean, you turn them into, 
I might as well have been eating M&Ms. You right. know, they're right. not going to do what they're supposed to do. So, um, what has been for you the best part of these 10 years that, you know, that keeps you on this side of the path oh, versus the other? Question. I would say being myself, not having to keep track of all my stories. Mm. That's very freeing. Um, you know, I have trouble remembering what I did yesterday or the day before. So, and that that's now. So imagine trying to keep track of all of these stories. It, it's just, it, it's a freedom mm -hmm. that I am who I am. I don't have to pretend to be anybody else. And that people like me anyway. Mm -hmm. And they don't care whether I drink or whether I don't drink. Yeah. No, I, I have to say, you know, the social situation where there's drinking around, I still struggle with that a little bit. Okay. You know, I get a little on edge. I don't like to stay for a long time. Mm -hmm. I don't enjoy drunk people. Yeah. I, I don't want to talk to drunk people. They tell you the same story over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's not fun to me. Um. You know, so I'm kind of a homebody. I love mm -hmm. it that way. Mm -hmm. You know, occasionally we venture out, but I, I think the the greatest part is is just this honesty and not having to to worry about money and what lies I told and how to cover yeah. those lies. That, that's the that that's, for me. That was the best part. Once you stop lying, it doesn't. It's life is so much easier. Oh, so much, so it, it, much easier. And then I, I, then you notice, or I noticed, I'm actually people are happier to see you because they think, oh, I'm not going to be bullshitted to death by the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And now when I make friends, I, I know that they're really good friends, and you know, in the whole alcoholic, drug addicted world, you wonder what people want from you, and mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> No, that wasn't happening a lot in my adult life anymore. But, you know, younger days, everybody wanted something. Yeah. Wow. So uh, I, I want to ask you this, and you can choose to pass on it, because I don't like to ask people to bring other people's stories into the conversation. But how have your girls navigated this with the two of you? Because your girls are now young women. So... <laughs> How has that been for them as a, as young people for whom alcohol is, you know, a huge part of their lives, whether they're participating in it or not, and, and as a family dynamic? Well, um, when Greg was at Hazelden up in Center City, the girls and I used to go and visit him every Sunday, and they thought he was on a work trip. Yeah. <laughs> he was at work meetings. But they like to go there, you know, I mean, beautiful grounds and, you know, we'd see deer or whatever, walk around for the afternoon. So, you know, that was kind of it when they were little. But um, we've always been very honest with them about it. Uh, we quit drinking. We've asked them, do you remember when we drank? Um, very little. Nora was a first grader and uh, Sophia was still a preschooler. 
So they remember a little bit about mommy and daddy drinking wine and going to the sucker store, which was the liquor store because they had suckers for kids. You know, we would drive past a liquor store. Can we stop and get a sucker? (laughs) I mean, that was just an eye opener, I guess, when that starts to happen. But we've been very honest with them. Um, my family history and Greg's is sprinkled all over the place with alcoholism and addiction and problems with that. So we've told them it is not likely to work out very well for you if you should choose this path. So my oldest is a senior in high school. Um, and, and she has, she seems to have a, a really, really, um, good understanding of what drinking might mean for her. Her friends might have a lot of fun doing it, but she probably won't. She probably will end up with more of a problem. So she has avoided those pitfalls. She's honest with, you know, the fact that it is out there. It is sometimes at the places that she goes, but she doesn't partake in it, nor have I seen any signs of, of her doing that. And now she has a, a nice young man in her life who seems to have the same attitude towards That's drinking. Cool. So I, I'm very happy about that. And, you know, the, Sophia is a freshman in high school and, and she's not uh, really had to deal with that quite yet. But right. we tell her the same thing. It's just yeah. not likely to turn out very well for you. Yeah. yeah. You know, you've just got a lot stacked against you. Yeah. Because yeah, it doesn't it, turn out very well for people who have virtually nothing stacked against them, actually. Uh, right. Not always, it's, but often. Yeah. It's just not a good way to deal with things. Yeah. If you're, you know, it, my dad has a beer. He doesn't want more beer. Yeah. <laughs> he just has a beer. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing to me that, that's, that people do it that way. Because I've never experience that yeah what's your phrase one is too many and ten isn't enough yeah one is too many and ten isn't enough yeah it's yeah but yeah so we're on very honest with the with the girls and they know where we sit and what we think and that we'd be there to help them if if they did see a problem well that's yeah. brilliant because we both know well, the three of us actually we all know there's probably more children in that high school your children go to whose parents should be giving them that speech yeah. and it's not happening mm-hmm. yeah that kind of notion of well it's just part of growing up it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. nor should it be really for anyone but definitely for many kids it should not be because here's the thing that there's two things about my irish heritage that just infuriate me beyond words one of them is and my dad brought this up. Whenever we did something, we had to finish it because he was so sick of so many people in Ireland who start something and don't finish it. And my cousins, you've seen it. Yes. And the other thing is when people say, oh, he's drinking because he's Irish. The Irish as a nation now are generally not drinking as much. So anyone in a different part of the world who blames an Irish heritage and the fact that they're doomed to drink to me is a coward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How I initially excused him as his yeah. drinking. I thought, well, he's Irish. They just drink a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, once said to me, you think the Irish must be one walking liver. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how much alcohol Maz could hold because I can drink about half. If I have an empty stomach and drink half a glass of wine, I'm done for the day. I have to immediately go to bed. So well, I'm you, useless. You feel sick too. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, you know, I mean, it felt weird to pass it off as an Irish thing, but that's just how we all kind of accept it. So you're, you know, it goes back to your point. I want to put this comment up. Um, you're telling your girls it's not apt to turn out very well for you is a really decent non-judgmental mm. way to deal with people making decisions for themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's from my mom, just in case that you're wondering, I almost nobody doesn't know that's my mom, but you might. <laughs> um, but yes, I think, I think that's a really smart way to do it actually, as opposed to, you know, sort of making these crazy threats or, or almost daring them to try it just to prove you wrong. That's a tricky age. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be, you have to be kind about it or you almost, you push people towards it. Yes, yes I agree. I mean, so Maz is not Quinn's biological father, but he's been in Quinn's life since he was five. So we talk a lot about, you know, just being aware of it and being careful and, and all of that. And he's 26 and I'm still talking about it with him because I, again, what I now understand is you can't outsmart alcohol. You can't out employ alcohol. You can't out anything yeah. alcohol. So let's just all keep talking about it and keep a check on it to the best of our ability to help people try to avoid having to hit whatever their bottom is and then climb their way back. Yeah, I totally agree, yeah. which is why I wanted to be honest and tell everybody about my story with it. Because like you said, Dana, I, I don't look like an alcoholic. No. I hit it like I, nobody knew what was yeah. going on. Nobody believed what was going on. Yeah. yeah. So Michelle, I'm curious, you seem to, you seem to me to be just incredibly at peace, um, accomplished and happy in your life with your family. Did you, and I, I just want to ask you this because um, I go to AA meetings every now and then. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to going to one on Friday. Um, I don't think I've ever used the phrase, I need to go to AA, because I met people who think I have to be here or my life falls apart. I'm just curious, what's your, do you need to go? Have you gone or do you, are you just found a, an inner peace that keeps you happy? Or did you find that AA meetings weren't working for you? I initially went to a lot of meetings and searched and searched until I found a couple of really good women's groups. I found that I liked the, the groups that were, were just women. Um, over time, though, my, my faith yeah. became my peace, I would say. You know, I, one of my dreams for uh, retiring is, you know, Greg, let, let's find a great place to retire, but it cannot be too far from church because part of my retirement plan is I want to attend daily mass. And if I could walk to mass, mm -hmm. that right. would be the greatest thing. Yeah. So, you know, I really try to keep myself on the, on the straight and narrow that way and kind of have found that with a family, um, Things get pretty busy, 
And we can all go to church together. And I like that piece of it too. And I'm not taking yet another time away to, to do a meeting either. I mean, I certainly would if I really felt on a slippery slope of I'm going to drink. But yeah. I have been so unbelievably blessed through this whole time that I've, I've really never felt close to doing that. Yeah. And part of what keeps me from doing that is the pain I described. The, and you'll hear at AA meetings, I, you know, I, I don't think I have another recovery in me. I don't think I have another getting sober in me. I, I don't think I could do it again. Wow. So I don't want to. So you don't walk the boat. Yeah. But a big part of my inner peace is my faith. Yeah. No, I, I was just curious because Dana asks me sometimes, just, you know, it's not, a, it's never a judgment thing. She'll just, it'll come up to, you know, on a Friday about quarter to six and Dana will say, are you going to AA? Said, yeah, you know what? No, I feel good. So we sit down and have dinner at a normal time instead of waiting for me to come home yeah. or have it early before I leave. And then sometimes I say, you know, I just want to go, but I, it's not because I need to. It's because I think, you know what, I'll just go and say, if I've got something, something nice happened to me this week, I'll share it with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, I need to go. I'm in trouble. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. And that, you know, Greg um, does attend regular AA meetings. Mm -hmm. he, he really misses it when he doesn't go. It's, mm -hmm. that's his thing. Yeah. Well, isn't it outstanding that there's so many paths to sobriety? The same way there's so many paths to addiction, there are so many paths to sobriety. And it's been one of the, the real blessings of doing this show is we've learned about all the different ways that people navigate being on this side of addiction and they've all been equally valuable because they have all been what that individual person needs to be where they are. And I, I just, I, I so appreciate that this is a very gray topic. It is not a black and white topic and daily dose has given people the opportunity to share the piece of gray that is unique to them that I think has just opened the eyes of certainly me, because I knew nothing, and many, many of our audience as well, and just given people an opportunity to think about the whole spectrum of addiction, as opposed to homeless guy on the street corner with a paper bag yeah. who dies, you know, from <clears throat> whatever it is. There, it's just, it is never that simple. No. Even for that individual, it is not that simple. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> no, it, it doesn't look how you think it looks and no. No. it's everywhere and it hides and it, it's quite a disease yeah it's sure one is. of my counselors used to say um you know even about addiction it's you know you're you're working your way through your addiction and and thinking you're so strong and but your addiction is always like just waiting for you doing a hundred push-ups you know waiting for you to fall down a little bit it, it never loses its strength. You you re-enter it the same spot as you quit. So, you know, it, well, it would I would re-enter that world in a mess. 
Yeah. You know, immediately. Yeah. It's not like I could try to control it, do it different. Right. Well, Michelle, this has been it has. Michelle, really one, moving. I got one more thing oh, to say. Sorry. I, I made the the AA meeting I go to on on Fridays when I go. Is I just they're some of the nicest human beings I've ever met. And there's a phrase in there that if you do something good, a few of the old older people who've been there for thirty or forty years will nod and say, "Yeah, you're the real deal." And uh, I think you are too. I just anyway, Dana was so excited to meet with you on this, and I just it's been a pleasure to talk to you. You too. You too. It's been great. Well, we will um, hope at some point maybe to talk to Greg if he feels up to sharing his story. And if he doesn't, you've represented him fabulously. So thank him for thank letting you. He's a good guy. About it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I bet we're you. lucky. Glad you have you there. Yeah. yeah. But we worked hard. So yeah. Yeah. Shows. I can tell that you did. Yeah. Michelle, thanks so Thank much you. for this. You're welcome. Really extraordinary. Uh, everybody, Absolutely. see you next Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy. And thanks, everyone. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Daily Dose of Dr. Mary and DD. If you enjoyed the content and want to learn more, head over to Facebook to Daily Dose Dr. Mary DD. You can find us on YouTube under Dana DelVal. And if you want to get signed up for our weekly newsletter, email me at D-A-Y-N-A at D-A-Y-N-A-D-E-L-V-A-L.com. Have a great day. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye.